Good evening, my name is Moira Shuri, and I'm the Executive Director of Zocalo Public Square. Welcome to our discussion titled, How Much Can Americans Expect of Our Leaders in a Crisis? At Zocalo, our mission is to connect people to ideas and to one another. Everything we do is free and everyone is welcome. We publish original writing and convene events such as the one you're watching today. Find out more on our website, zocalopublicsquare.org. Today's discussion is moderated by Saul Gonzalez. His career has spanned television and radio from PBS to NPR. Saul has reported on topics ranging from human rights abuses to homelessness, and he has earned eight Emmy Awards and now spends his time traveling around his home state for the California Report. Saul and our featured speaker, Mayor Antonio Villaraigosa, will explore how political leaders face a crisis when people and lives hang in the balance. Over to you, Saul. And thank you all for joining us for the Zocalo Forum about leadership during a time of crisis. Our guest is Antonio Ramon Villaraigosa, best known as the 41st mayor of Los Angeles. Uh, LA is his hometown. He grew, he grew up on the east side in City Terrace, raised by a single mother. He graduated from Roosevelt High School, attended college in East LA, UCLA, and then the People's College of Law. After graduation, he became a union organizer for United Teachers Los Angeles and was chapter president of the ACLU, the LA office of the ACLU. He was then elected to the state assembly where he rose to the position of speaker of the assembly in 2001. He ran for mayor, didn't win that one, but ran for city council later, won a seat on the city council, and then in 2005 became mayor of Los Angeles and was mayor for two terms. Um, he faced such challenges as crime, uh, making the, the city greener, uh, and of course the ravages of the Great Recession, and of course trying to improve our transportation system here in Los Angeles. And Mr. Mayor, it's a, a pleasure to, for, for, you, for you to join us this afternoon. Thanks so much. Well, it's great to be on this uh, discussion, conversation with you. Well, great. Well, thank you. And I hope you're having a good pandemic or as good as it can be. I don't think anybody's having a good pandemic, but I, I do think um, that every one of us ought to cherish what we have, our life, our family, our friends, uh, our beliefs, and um, we're going to get through this. Well, we we're we're speaking at a time of crisis because of the coronavirus, because of what it's done to the economy. We also face uh, 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 racial unrest recently in our country. We're in the midst of a very contentious, very toxic election. So there are crisis, crises everywhere we turn. Um, what is your attitude? When you were mayor, for instance, what was your attitude toward, 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 toward crises that came up? I mean, obviously they, pain, they cause pain and heartache, but did you also see them as opportunities? Did you relish a good crisis? You know, it's interesting because a few people have said, in fact, more than a few people have said things like, I bet you're glad you lost the governor's race um, right now. I've heard, I bet you're glad you're not mayor anymore. And actually I, I, I say to people, obviously you don't really know me. I think there are some of us, uh, nobody's looking for a crisis, but I think there are some of us who understand um, that in every crisis, there's an opportunity. Uh, I, I can tell you that um, I wasn't uh, the same person uh, going in the same leader 
going in uh, as mayor as when I left that left uh, those eight years. I can tell you, I grew. I think that um, I think in the beginning, like so many of us, you know, you want to be loved, uh, you cherish uh, being popular. In the end, uh, I was it was more important to me to be respected. What's a crisis you confronted as mayor head on that you succeeded in solving? And be specific. Well, there were a few things. Uh, if you remember, when I became mayor, uh, there was a lot of ado about the fact that I was the first. I had broken a glass ceiling. I, I was the first mayor of Mexican descent in 133 years. And as I looked around me, everybody serving me looked just like me. And I deduced that to the fact that we had a broken uh, school system, uh, broken education system. One out of three schools were failing uh, when I became mayor, uh, a 44% graduation rate. In fact, the high school that I went to saw, Roosevelt High School, when I graduated in 1971, had a 25% graduation rate. 34 years later, that graduation rate was 36%. So uh, that was a crisis that I took on. Can't say I solved it. Why was took... you though? The mayor doesn't have any control over public education in the city of LA. I know you try to get control when you were mayor, but you weren't successful in that. I wasn't successful, but I was in, in getting control over the school district, but I was successful in working with a broad cross-section of reformers who took us from one out of three failing schools to one out of 10 from a 44% graduation rate to a 72% graduation rate. Um, we increased dramatically the number of successful schools uh, in LA, uh, not where we need to be by any stretch because I think the, the graduation rate right now is about 80%, uh, not good enough. Only about 13% uh, of kids of color are getting, uh, you know, graduating from a four-year college um, but I can tell you that we made strides and that was important. Crime, you mentioned it. Uh, and we didn't solve it, uh, but well, it was one of the most uh, crime-stricken cities in the nation. Uh, homicides went down 45% in those eight years. Uh, violent crime, 49%. Uh, pretty big drop uh, in crime, you mentioned. Um, transportation. Um, you know, I think we built three light rail lines, one busway, uh, more than any city in the United States of America. We took uh, a city that uh, was among uh, the dirtiest in terms of its reliance on carbon uh, sources of uh, power uh, and signed agreements to get completely out of coal by uh, 2025. So, you know, we uh, reduced uh, our carbon emissions 28% below Kyoto levels. Um, and uh, a lot, but we also, uh, you know, left with a lot of work to do. Where did, uh, where did you fail and where did you falter? What was the crisis that, that, that uh, the crisis won, quite frankly, and you lost? The crisis won, well, all of the things I just mentioned, uh, we didn't win, per se. Uh, we made strides without question. I think I would have liked to have done more with respect uh, to the uh, budget deficit. We took it from 1.25 billion 
uh, a structural deficit of something like 25% uh, to about 128 million. I guess you saw in the newspaper uh, one since then, we never reduced it completely. Um, and now it's approaching something in the neighborhood of 600 million. Um, you know, we did pension reform. We got current employees to go from 6% to 11% current employees. Um, and um, we, we, we made strides in, in kind of dealing with um, the structural elements of the deficit, but you know, we, we didn't do it completely. And I, I think looking back, I, I would have liked, you know, in terms of taking advantage of uh, the opportunity that comes with the crisis, I think we needed to do even more than we did. And we did more than anybody uh, in the country when it comes to pension reform. Um, but I think we could have done more. Do you think about these things like each, each and every day now? I mean, now that you're, it's years later, do you still think about, oh, what I achieved or, oh, what I wasn't able to, to achieve as mayor? Not so much. I, I'll be honest with you. I, 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 uh, I recognize uh, I had my years, uh, did the best I could. Uh, I did grow in the job in the sense that, uh, you know, by the time I left, I wasn't looking to be the most popular guy in town. Uh, I, I, I knew I had to make tough calls and I did. Uh, you know, I, I joked uh, with uh, the editorial board of the LA Times, um, who, you know, was tough on me. There's no question about it. Um, but when I ran for governor, uh, talked about uh, the tough calls we made, talked about the fact that you know, a guy who came out of the unions, particularly, specifically the teachers union, who had been president of a union, uh, you know, doing things like pension reform, uh, taking on uh, the status quo when it came to uh, fixing our schools, even though it meant I took on my friends. And uh, I don't think they see me as a friend anymore, but I certainly have a great deal of respect for our teachers and believe in our unions. Uh, they have an important role in society and particularly in these times when the economy is not working for so many people. But I was also knew the, I, I had to make the tough call. Was that the toughest thing for you personally when you would chart a course that your former allies or your one-time allies were against and you had to be in a room with someone and say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do what you want me to do. I mean, did you have friendships shrivel up or end because of that? I mean, is it something that still causes some, some, some heartache? Well, we spent, uh, uh, what, something like 25 million bucks against me during the governor's race. Uh, I, you know, not uh, gonna mince words when it comes to the fact that I think, you know, they saw um, my decisions as you know, betraying um, my relationship. Uh, you know, I've said many times that it's easy to take on your adversaries, the people that have never been with you. It's a lot tougher to take on your friends, but that's what's required. Uh, you know, I, I think the, the theme of this uh, conversation is what should we expect of our leaders uh, during a crisis? And I think. We should expect that they'll lead. Uh, we should expect that they'll make the tough calls. We should expect um, that when they have to, they'll 
take on their friends and the most powerful interests. And I remember when I ran uh, in 1994, uh, we, you know, I'd, I was a former president of the ACLU, an immediate past president. I was against the death penalty at a time uh, when the death penalty was fairly popular. Uh, Three Strikes Rot was on the ballot and I was opposed to it and it was going to pass and I knew it was. And so was Proposition 187. So I took on all of those things and I said something to the effect, uh, maybe uh, you won't agree with me on these issues. Uh, I'm taking positions that aren't popular right now, but one thing's for sure, uh, I'll fight for you. Uh, even when the fight is tough, uh, even if I'm the only one fighting. And I do think that it is important that our leaders make those tough calls. And particularly right now, you know, things are so partisan. Uh, they're so polarized. You know, um, in, in many ways, this reminds me when I was a kid, you know, 15 years old on a college, you know, high school campus uh, leading um, the walkouts at uh, Cathedral High School, later on uh, fighting the effort to close the doors on affirmative action at UCLA. And, um, you know, I tell people, I look back on myself back then and I saw things in black and white. Um, I was very strident uh, in my beliefs. I think over time I've, I've come to believe that, uh, you know, you got to respect uh, the other side too. Uh, they got elected uh, as well as you did. Uh, you know, your views aren't the only views. And I think right now we're in a time in our country when we're all feeling very strongly and stridently about uh, our beliefs. And while I get to uh, some of those water held beliefs, I, I also know that others have different ones. Sure, I'm gonna to get to some of those wider issues, Mr. Mayor, in just a moment. Uh, just one final question about your mayorship. What happens when a leader creates problems? I mean, there were times when you were mayor when you shot yourself in the foot a couple of times uh, because of your issues in your personal life. Any regrets there? And then how do you recover from that kind of problem, that kind of crisis versus something that's just happening in the outside world that well, you that weren't responsible? Thank you for asking that. and I. I think some of my friends sometimes say that I should just leave that issue alone. But uh, that was, you know, my personal travails uh, were certainly something I did to myself. Uh, I remember my ex-wife saying something to the effect, you have no idea what this is going to do to you, uh, not just personally, but politically. And she was absolutely right. And um, I think it was without question. I mean, there's nothing I did politically um, hurt me as much as that did. Um, and, you know, as I've said many times, uh, you know, probably hurt me most with my kids. And um, you know, we've tried to get beyond uh, all of that. Uh, and I think we have, but, you know, there's no question I shot myself in the foot, as you mentioned. Yeah. And, and I don't mean to get in your personal life, Mr. Mayor. I, I just remember thinking as an Angelino then and thinking and talking to other Angelinos who were saying, hey, is this guy so consumed by his personal issues that he's not really looking after the city as much as he yeah, should? Yeah, that, that didn't happen, by the way. In fact, I, I remember, you know, uh, 
I remember that 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 never happened. Uh, and in fact, the people that were most concerned about it was, you know, you know, the press, um, you know, and and obviously my family. But um, I, I I I was focused on the job, and uh, I think you know we we mentioned my inauguration. Uh, I can tell you uh, because we've we've um, my chief of staff once said to me, she said, you know, you made so many campaign promises that I'm going to bring in um, McKinsey uh, to chart all of the campaign promises and put goals and timetables so that when we're all said and done, we can tell a story. Uh, we were much, and, and you know, frankly, uh, even during the middle of all of that, we were focused on the work. We couldn't have done as much as we did in the eight years. I mean, look at downtown, uh, you know, the transformation that happened there, the three light rail lines, the busway, you know, crime going down so dramatically during that period of time, you know, educate, I mean, you know, on and on, we didn't fix any problem permanently or, you know, as you said, solved it completely, but there, there was no question, you know, I was focused on the job, but getting back to the, the question, I did shoot myself in the foot. Okay. There's no question about it. All right, uh, let's move on. Um, and let me circle back to something you mentioned at the top, and that is uh, you, you, you briefly referenced uh, uh, your run to become the chief executive of the state of California. And then, um, and, and I'm wondering, as you look at the problems that, that uh, Newsom is confronting now, um, how good of a job do you think he's doing on the state level, and how do you, how good of a job do you think uh, your successor to your office here in LA, Mayor Eric Garcetti, how well is he doing? <laughs> you know, I, I'll say that uh, both of them have really tough jobs. Uh, the governor uh, has had fires and, you know, uh, demonstrations and looting and rioting and so is the mayor and uh, I think these are and a pandemic uh, and a pandemic oh I'm sorry thank you uh, for reminding me and the pandemic of course and I, I think you know anybody in these times uh, would be struggling I think both have done the best they could and uh, I respect uh, them for that uh, you know it's not easy uh, during these times I will say that you know, from my vantage point, something I talked about wherever I went, um, if anybody's really suffering right now, Saul, yeah. it's the poor. Uh, it's uh, those communities uh, that have been left behind uh, long before we had a pandemic. Uh, uh, you know, in an economy that uh, is not working for the little guy anymore. So what would and you I do, spoke, Mr. Mayor? I, spoke to, I mean, if you well, were in Viragosa in 2020 or Governor Viragosa, what would you be doing now that they're not? I, I, well, you know, I, I, that would be untoward for me to- Well, you, I'm sure you think about these things though. It must, you must have- I, I'll tell you one thing I would be focused a lot on rather than you know compare myself. Yeah, okay. I'd be focused every day on uh, the poor, the left out, you know, in schools right now, I, I think it's, as an example, I think we got to figure out how we get kids uh, back in the classroom. 
um, even if it means, you know, look at in, in, in Southern California, particularly, uh, they could be meeting uh, on a football field. Uh, they could be uh, meeting, uh, you know, in the playground. I, I think we have to treat this like a crisis because too many of these kids don't have, um, you know, uh, internet. They don't have a laptop or an iPad and um, they're losing more than a year. Um, so if you were governor, you would be doing more to open California schools or if you were mayor. Again, I, 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 I don't want to compare myself to anybody. I, I, I think it's enough to say that my focus would be uh, those kids. You know, I, I, I mentioned to you, you were right. I didn't have authority over the schools, but I felt compelled to do something about Saul, you and I are aberrations in many ways in our community. Um, we're one of the few, when you look at percentage wise, uh, that got a great education, uh, that are in the kind of jobs that we have. I, I felt compelled to fight for those kids because you know what I say? They're my kids. Um, wow. By the way, for all the viewers here, I just want you to know I tinted my hair gray for this show. Um, I just saw a picture of me uh, uh, way back when. I don't look like that guy anymore. Uh, but yeah, you know, I felt compelled. I and I, I always have, you know, I, since I got involved, you know, I, I tell people, I didn't speak a lick of Spanish. I never worked in the fields and I was fighting for farm workers as a young boy. I was yeah. fighting for immigrants and I'm third generation American and Mexican descent. I didn't even speak Spanish, but I felt like I had to speak out for them. And I feel the same now. If, if you know, rather than compare myself to the mayor or the governor, God. I'll just tell you whatever job I had, I'd be fighting for them. Like I, I always have um, because those, those are my kids. And I, I say that whether they're white or black or Latino or Asian, those are my kids. They're, they, you know, that, that was me 50 and 60 years ago. You know, a, a kid who grew up in poverty, a, a kid who grew up in a home of domestic violence and alcoholism, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and I feel to this day, like I have, I have a responsibility. You know, I, I've often said, you know, it's not enough to get a great education. Uh, if you're not giving back, you're just a waste. Yeah. And, and, and I've, I've always tried to use this education on behalf of people that don't have one. Can, so, I, turn, can I turn back to your time as mayor and talk about a, a current issue and a success you had as yeah, mayor? Sure. And how views of it might have changed though. Um, when you were mayor, the big emphasis on increasing the size of the LAPD. I know you fought for a 10,000 officer force. I think you achieved it, right? Got a little bit higher than 10,000 if I'm recalling right. Now, of course, there are calls to uh, cut funding to law enforcement, reduce the size of law enforcement. What do you think about that? Can you imagine, Mr. Mayor, and LAPD that is 5% of its current size or even 50%? Is that, is that imaginable to you? First of all, I, I understand, and, and I often said this, uh, nobody's above the law. Uh, not a politician, not a priest, not a police officer. Um, and 
there's, in my mind, I understand um, what uh, the concern that so many of us have. You understand about, the anger toward, toward law enforcement, right? I, well, I, I understand the concern, the, the anger, the anguish. Can you wrap your head around, though, the possible remedy that's being offered of cutting well, I, I, flashing As I said, I believe that you know we can and should have constitutional community policing. That's what I tried to do. Uh, while I was mayor. We grew our police department, but we also diversified it. Uh, we also uh, spoke to the notion that we needed to be more community focused and that we couldn't just uh, address the root, you know, crime rather uh, with police officers. We needed schools. We needed jobs. Uh, we needed, uh, you know, uh, programs like summer night lights, uh, prevention and intervention programs. Uh, you know, uh, you know, efforts to re-enter people into society. And so I understand the need to reform. Can you, you understand know, I, calls I, to cut law enforcement? Defund, no. I, I, you know, I, 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 I do think we should always look at, at how we spend our resources, uh, inclu including for public safety. There's no question about it. Um, I do believe that we need to uh, marshal more of our resources uh, in, uh, you know, efforts like prevention and intervention and summer jobs and, and job training and, and, and the like. Uh, so I, ha I don't take issue with any of that. You know, defund, I mean, you know, I've heard some people say we don't need a police force. Come on, you know, I, I, I don't buy that and I don't believe that. And I, I also understand, and I, and I said this when I was mayor often, uh, they got a tough job. We oftentimes ask police officers to be social workers uh, and do the, to do the job that society has been unwilling to do. So why not give them less to do? Why not give those jobs to other, other people? Mental well, health you know, experts. Again, again, you know, I'm, uh, you know, that's a longer conversation, but I, I think we, can and should look at, uh, you know, um, efforts uh, to uh, make sure that, you know, we're not requiring that our police officers do all of the things they currently do. Um, I, you know, part of why I believe we needed to grow our police department is, think about this, we're 400 and, I don't know, 56 square miles, um, you know, very, dispersed as a population. Um, I thought it was really important that uh, in order to have uh, community policing that we needed more police officers because uh, all the experts uh, indicated that. But I think the question that uh, we should always look at how we can do things better, uh, what we can do uh, to make our police force, um, you know, more connected with our communities. Uh, and there's also no question that we have to deal with uh, the reality that too many black men uh, die, well, and Latinos, but you know, too many people of color, poor people die at the hands of uh, law enforcement. And I think we have every right uh, to look into that. Defund, uh, not have a police department, you know, um, I think that's a non-starter, but yeah, obviously. Yeah, I know that there are people that have 
strong views in the other direction. Let's um, let's turn to something else really important. That's the election. We're speaking one week away from election day, although lots of people have voted. Um, there are 32 million Hispanic voters, potential Hispanic voters in this election. Uh, uh, the greatest number than ever before, I believe. Uh, uh, Latinos now account for more of the electorate than African-Americans do. Um, Latinos have been very important to your political success at times and your base. Um, how good of a job do you think each side is doing when it comes to Latino outreach and, and leadership on those issues? Let me just speak to the base. I mean, as you said, Latinos were always uh, a big part. They voted in, you know, uh, higher percentages uh, for me than any other group. Um, but after 2005, African-Americans have also been very, very, uh, you know, an important part of my coalition. And in fact, in fact, um, communities of color, immigrant communities, you know, uh, my strength, uh, you know, has been in, you know, the Armenian and Persian and Korean and Chinese and the Jewish community. Uh, there's no question that uh, it was a progressive coalition, but one uh, that was dominated by communities of color as well. Um, but, you know, with respect to Latinos, yes, um, uh, they uh, are now the largest uh, voting block of, you know, of any community of color. Um, but they still, you know, in 2016, uh, whites voted at 69%, blacks voted at 67%, Asians voted at 49%, and Latinos voted uh, at uh, 47%. And so who doesn't vote? The young, the poor, and the less educated. And all three of those demographics are large loom large in the Latino community. I think uh, the uh, most of the polling I've seen is that uh, um, people don't expect them to come out in um, numbers much greater than um, last time around. Uh, that causes me some concern. I think both parties don't do enough, but particularly you know, Republicans are antagonistic to the Latino community, and um, and and I think the Democrats don't do enough. They do a lot of uh, lip service. Uh, they could and should do a lot more. What would that be? Uh, what would a lot more look? Well, like? as an example, I you know I I, I was critical of uh, the last uh, Democratic um, administration for not when we had a majority. Uh, in the House and the Senate, passing an, an immigration bill. Uh, there's no question, and I said this, um, you know, that for some people, uh, they don't feel it uh, the way someone like I do uh, when you see kids in cages. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think both parties could have done more uh, to reach. Uh, you know, an Im immigration reform. And I'm expecting that this time around, uh, should we win, as I expect the Senate, uh, the House, and, and the White House, uh, that they will uh, move forward to pass a comprehensive immigration uh, bill. Uh, I think 
there's also uh, no question uh, the Democrats, we know Republicans, you know, I mean, look, the Trump tax plan was a temporary plan that helped the rich, uh, that disproportionately uh, did it on the backs of the middle class and the poor, um, and created a deficit and a debt that uh, the poor will end up paying. Uh, but I, I think the Democrats are going to have to do a much better job uh, at uh, making sure this economy works for more people. There's a reason why uh, so many people, uh, you know, feel, uh, you know, disenchanted with both parties. Uh, and, and, you know, I think uh, there are actually a lot of Republicans, a lot of working class, you know, voters in those swing states that feel like uh, this economy is not working for them. Some... Yeah, when it comes to your part, I mean, earlier in the year, earlier in the election, uh, you did support, you came out in support of Michael Bloomberg. Um, so where do you think the party's future is? Is it in that, that middle uh, that I think Mr. Bloomberg represented more middle to slightly right of center middle, or is it to the left? You know, early on, I, early on, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big Biden fan. Uh, you know, if there's one thing about him, and I, I don't think it's a little thing, he's a decent man. Uh, he is without question uh, a good guy. If How should you will. he govern, though, from the center or from well, the left? And I would let me finish. And 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 I think he, without question, uh, has uh, you know a, gotten behind a set of policies that will make him the most progressive uh, president. Uh, ever. Uh, there are policies that are to the left of Obama um, in no small, for no small reason that uh, I think that, you know, the country is realizing that we need to go, um, uh, we need to focus a lot more on uh, the working person, the people that, you know, really kind of the motor force of our economy and our society. Um, I, I went with Michael. Let me let me be clear about that, and, and partly because I did at the time I didn't see um, Biden's candidacy uh, taking off, and I had worked with Michael uh, over the eight years we were mayor. In fact, there were uh, we were both mayor. I, I think uh, as mayors we probably worked together on more things than any two mayors in the country. Uh, we were both uh, mayors uh, against gun violence. Uh, we started that organization. We mayors for marriage equality. Um, we were both uh, strongly in support of greening America and addressing climate change. Um, we uh, worked together on, you know, kind of lessening the noise in our body politic. And so I, I proudly worked with him and once he lost, uh, got, you know, got behind uh, Joe and uh, excited to do that. And I think you're right. I think you'll see that the country is, is moving uh, to, uh, uh, to be more progressive in its policies, whether it's on climate change, uh, whether it's on making the economy work for more people. Uh, I think that's the biggest challenge facing the country. 
uh, you know, capitalism isn't working for too many people. It doesn't mean we should uh, not be for it. I certainly am for it, but uh, it's got to work. Uh, the little guy's got to be, and I say little guy, you know, people that work every day uh, have to be able to benefit from that work in a way that we don't see uh, currently. And so I expect that um, you'll see, uh, should we win all three, you know, the House, the Senate, the White House, uh, we'll tack uh, to what I call the radical center. Does the radical center include making Washington DC and Puerto Rico a state? Uh, would states would you support support that? Absolutely. With, would you without question. Without question. Okay. Would you support ending the filibuster? It's not working. It's been employed more times in this century than any time, you know, in the last decade rather than any time in the century. I, I, it's not working. Okay. So, the, uh, it, how about um, increasing the size of the Supreme Court? Would you? think, hmm, that's an idea to consider at the very that's least. That's a distraction for right now, but I, I think we'll, I, I think uh, I've, I've read uh, somewhere and, and, and agree with that. Uh, you know, in, in, 19, in the 1930s, uh, President Roosevelt threatened it and well, Not uh, it wasn't well. successful. It didn't go well, wait, wait. It didn't go well, um, but, but the Supreme Court start, stopped overreaching. Uh, and it may be that, uh, given the possibility, uh, they won't tack so far to the right. This isn't just a conservative Supreme Court. This is a right-wing Supreme Court who's taken positions that are so out of kilter where most of America is, Saul. That's the problem. Right. And, you know, you heard me mentioned, you just said that, you know, I haven't, you know, I was, you know, I'm not a, I think most people would say I'm, you know, I'm not a, a, a partisan warrior, but I can tell you, uh, this Supreme Court is not just conservative. They are right wing on climate change, on a woman's right to choose, on the, the issue of healthcare, uh, across the board. Uh, this is a Supreme Court uh, with uh, Barrett's uh, appointment that um, could very well, you know, this, uh, you know, uh, this notion that we should interpret the Constitution uh, by its words at the time that, it, uh, you know, it was drafted uh, is, uh, is a nice idea. Um, but, it, you know, our democracy has to be fluid. It has to be dynamic. It has to grow uh, with the times. And uh, there's no question that they're taking positions that are way out of kilter with where most of America is. So in response, and we're gonna to come to questions in a few minutes, I should say, I should remind people of that. But so in response to that right word, word tilt, you, is it fair to say you are now supportive of certain ideas that a few years back you would have thought were, were outside the box or not possible? No. No, actually, I've been a progressive my whole life. I'm a practical one. Um, look, um, I was calling, we were calling ourselves progressive uh, in the milieu I was in, in the 1970s. Um, I, I, when you look at the positions I've taken uh, from, you know, when I first got elected in 1994, um, 
very strongly progressive. I was taking on prison building in America in the 90s. Uh, I was taking on um, climate change and the jobs blackmail arguments against it uh, in the 90s. Uh, I was, you know, I was part of, I supported uh, gay marriage in 1994, uh, not just civil unions and the like. And so um, I can tell you uh, that they're not out of kilter with who I am. I just have understood the other side got elected too. Um, and you know, uh, what I call the radical center is moving forward as fast as you can, um, but not being afraid uh, you know, to, to move incrementally when the times don't allow you to do more. And that's, uh, so, why, and that's why you concluded that you should throw your support behind Michael Bloomberg instead of say, Senator Sanders. Yeah, you know, I, I, right. I, I, I'd worked with him. I don't have a relationship with Sen Senator Sanders. And uh, I tell people much of what he supported, I, I, I don't take umbrage with, uh, particularly the aspiration as an example of a Green New Deal, right. uh, the aspiration of uh, Medicare for all. Uh, I just understand that, uh, you know, we're going to do these things, uh, you know, over time. I'd like to do it as quickly as we can, but you got, you got to build support for it. You know, the, the thing I learned as a community organizer, Saul, and, and remember, I, you know, President Obama was the community organizer for a year and a half or so. I was a community organizer uh, for 30 years before I got, I got elected. Indeed. Uh, 30 years before I got elected. And the one thing you learn and, and you're taught, as a matter of fact, when you do scientific uh, organizing uh, is that you know, you got to bring people with you and you can't be afraid. Uh, and, and we used to say, uh, you know, those those people that love to talk uh, and not do the hard work of bringing people with them are, are, are just that. They're good at talking. They're good at taking positions. Uh, you know, uh, you, you want to take positions, but you want to bring them to fruition. And that means you got to do the hard work of building support. And uh, you know, uh, not being afraid uh, to get, a, you know, small wins and build the foundation for the bigger ones. Yeah. If there's a change in administration and the new administration calls you up and say, hey, Mary Villaragosa, we'd like you to do X, Y, or Z for us, whatever that X, Y, or Z is, would you be ready to answer the call? Do you, could you see yourself doing that? Well, first of all, let me be clear. I expect there will be a change. In fact, I, I believe that we'll win the House, the Senate, and the White House. I think um, the current president will do everything he can uh, uh, to uh, discredit uh, that win. Uh, we'll use every mechanism available uh, to him um, to somehow change the outcome, but I expect that we will win. And yes, uh, I think when you're called on, uh, you, you answer the call. I believe in public service, Saul. Uh, I always have. In fact, just before I got on the call, um, this, you know, caught, you know, got on this uh, call, I, I said to someone that uh, in responding to that question, of, you know, of course you'd answer the call. What would you like uh, to do? 
if you know, your dreams, what would be the ideal thing or subject to really tackle? Be specific, please. Yeah, I, I, I've thought about it, frankly. I, I think uh, I believe in public service. I always have. Um, and it's enough to say that I'd, I'd answer the call. Okay, all right. Um, we are now gonna move to taking some questions from the audience, which I am receiving from the good Great. friends of Nokolo. Um, there's a question about uh, Kamala Harris. When she was running for a state, when she was running for state attorney general, uh, you supported her. What can you tell us about her leadership that is underappreciated? What's the hair? Uh, well, something you know about Harris that we don't know? I'll, I'll tell you something. I, I've seen her grow. Uh, I've been impressed with just how much she's grown. I've, I've known her for 26 years. Um, and we weren't just, you know, we've been friends uh, all of that time. And, and I saw her as a district attorney, a attorney general. I supported her in both. Um, you know, I saw her in a run for Senate and, and then in the run for the White House. And um, very impressed uh, uh, with her and her growth. You know, when you when you know somebody that well for that long, and seeing them kind of blossom in the way that she has, it's a it's a great thing to see. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, do you have you spoken to her recently, or have your paths crossed? Recently? We we text from time to time. Yeah, just to, well, texted her the day of her debate. Um, more texting than talking but we have um go back and forth sure it's 2020 more texting than talking i get it um another question from someone well, you know you also she's running for she's you know for vice president of the united states you also kind of it, it, as well as i know her want to respect that and you know so texting is usually a little easier but sure, uh, sure i get it i get it uh, we have another question from a, a, a viewer uh, mayor but uh, mayor says police officers are being asked to fulfill the roles of other public servants are our leaders being asked i assume our elected leaders being asked to perform above what should be expected of them in this time of widespread crisis in our state are we i guess are we expecting too much from our elected officials or expect too much expertise from them on things like a pandemic for instance no i think we have every right to expect a lot um but i also think uh you know sometimes we're armchair quarterbacks and that's why when you asked you know about the governor and the mayor you know they, they got tough jobs right now and yeah. i respect that sure. i really do and i would say uh, we have every right to expect of them but of ourselves as well you know if, in order for our democracy to work saul uh, we we have to be involved I, i've said for many years after reading a book called uh, bowling alone that it was really important that we um that we all be involved, uh, that we be an informed citizenry, uh, that we get involved in our unions, in our churches, in our synagogues, in our uh, community organizations, that we're involved in our kids' schools, that, you know, that we're engaged civically. And, um, uh, you know, so it's not enough to sit there and complain about uh, our elected leaders. We've got to be the difference uh, that we expect that we want uh, for our country. Another question, 
Another question, Mary Villa Ragosa, I really like this one. Um, no leader succeeds without failure. What's your favorite failure that you've experienced and what did you learn from it? Well, you know, you mentioned it. I, I lost that first election. Um, and you're running for mayor the first time. Running for mayor in 2001. It, it, it actually uh, was my favorite, even though I lost it. Oh. It was my favorite because I ran with abandon. Uh, I maybe was a little too hot, I think, as scared folks, you know, changing demographics. What does it mean? I, I heard again and again and again, go back to Mexico and all that stuff. And I heard stuff like, you know, you're just going to be uh, a mayor for them. Um, and, you know, I, I learned, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't get angry about it. I, I didn't pour, you know, I think a lot of people realized there was a lot of fear mongering going on in that election. Um, and, you know, subtle kinds of, uh, you know, efforts to uh, make me scary. And I learned that, you know, it was important not to throw kerosene on a fire uh, and not to be bitter. And I've, I've often said to other leaders, nobody likes a sore loser. Uh, when you uh, lose, lose big be a big person. When you win, win small, be a big person. Um, and so I learned a lot from that defeat. Um, and the second time around in 2005, I heard people say, God, you're not as electric as you were in 2001. I said, well, you know, I remember I election, you know, so I, I, you know, I calmed it down a bit and, and, uh, and, you know, it seemed to work. Was it hard in the last year or two of your mayorship to stay as engaged in the job, frankly, as it was during the first year or two? Yeah. Is people I, those comments? You know, I loved my job. Mm -hmm. I just did. You know, I think we all know that I was asked to, you know, had conversations to serve in the Obama administration. And, you know, I, I just wasn't interested in leaving six months early. You know, I wanted to finish my job. And, um, you know, people often say I was ubiquitous. I was everywhere and I was, and I enjoyed it. I, uh, I think the thing I loved most about the job were the people. I'm so proud of Angelino's. I, you know, I, I said, I used to say things like, you know, we are to the world what New York was in the 20th century and London in the 19th. Um, and I, I believe that we come, you know, we're the, in, some way, in many ways, the Alice Island of the country now, you know, 70% or so, almost 70% of the population comes from Asia, Africa, and Latin America. And I, um, I was proud of, to have a job like that. So I, I, um, you know, I'll always, you know, appreciate uh, that people gave me the opportunity to serve. Sure. Uh, by the way, I just want to make a note to our audience watch, watching the last few minutes. We've been having some video connection issues with you, Mr. Mayor, but you're coming through loud and clear. We can hear you. We just can't see you from time to time. It might be related to the terrible Santa Ana winds that we're having right now. Uh, but moving on to a couple of final questions. Um, 
Uh, one is if you were advising Biden, so let's say you and Biden in a room together for a few minutes, uh, what would you tell him about how to approach the smorgasbord of crises that the country faces now? What's like the one or two pieces of advice you'd say, Mr. Biden, listen to me about this. I think we really have to understand that this economy has not worked for too many people for too long. Um, you know, you don't have to agree uh, with Bernie Sanders' candidacy, uh, not to agree, as an example, with the fact that uh, this economy is not working for the little person, for the working man and woman. And um, we, we, we have got to make it uh, a, a more level playing field. Um, and you know, I'd say that's um, something I would do, you know, I would have done if I had, had gotten the job as governor. And I say that's what we have to do um, nationally as well. So that means, that means you know, health care for, you know, working to make sure that every American has health care, that we vindicate the notion that it's a right, not a privilege. The only issue is how quickly we get there. Uh, it means that uh, we have to take on climate change and, and focus on green jobs. It's not enough to say we're gonna get, you know, move to a more sus sustainable, um, you know, uh, economy uh, and, you know, more renewables. Uh, we got to train people for those jobs. We've got to educate them. We've got to look at what uh, the new economy is doing uh, to so many jobs and train people uh, for the jobs of the future. And I, I think uh, that's something very importantly uh, that we're going to have to focus on. Uh, when it comes to health care, are you... By the way, I think what's happening, it says accessory, not supported. Uh, they asked me to move my iPad in a way uh, that it's pressing against the keyboard. So it keeps on saying accessory not supported and I have to keep on hitting it. Oh, it, sorry. It's not, yeah, it's, it's crazy. But um, your technical people didn't like the way my iPad was facing and I think it's putting up pressure We're trying on- to blame the Santa Ana winds, Mr. Mayor. Come on, go yeah. with it. Just a couple, like of, being... just a couple of more questions. Um, are you a single payer healthcare guy? You brought up healthcare and uh, do you, uh, are you okay in theory with single payer or you like the Absolutely. system as it is? No, I, I, my, my issue is again, has nothing to do with the aspiration. I think yeah. one day uh, we will have a single payer or Medicare for all. Uh, every other uh, Western industrialized country does. And again, I think healthcare is a right. I, I think what we need to do first is expand Obamacare. What we need to do first is, is a public option. Uh, what we need to do uh, as quickly as we can, but not overnight, uh, is to, to build the foundation for it. But yes, I, I do believe that that's where we need to go. And anything yeah. related to the pandemic specifically like that you'd like to see more of happening right now or more investment in either locally, statewide or nationally? Well, I think the pandemic reminds us um, that uh, this issue of healthcare is, is a right and not a privilege. And I think it's why 
so many people, uh, you know, feel like we need to move in another direction uh, because this administration has done everything they can to eviscerate uh, health care for the many uh, for whom it was expanded uh, during the Obama years. And I think that uh, uh, there's a, a sense that uh, uh, the country needs to, to provide health care to more people. Uh, and that means we're going to have to make uh, some tough calls and uh, make uh, some important investments. Yeah. And just finally, just wrapping this up, Mr. Mayor, um, since you've uh, left uh, service, uh, since you've left elected office, you've been involved in, in some initiatives in the private sphere. What has that taught you that you never learned when you were a union activist or an elected official? What do you appreciate now more in your post-elected life doing that? Well, you know, got to work hard. I, you know, I, I think like so many of us, uh, you know, COVID hit me in the pocketbook and, you know, uh, had, to, oh, really? had to, oh yeah, like, you know, I had to work hard to- You can share, go ahead. <laughs> get it back. You know, it, you know, and when, you, you know, I'm working in the kind of business where you're pretty much uh, on your own. And so, uh, you know, you had to go work extra hard to make up for uh, the losses, if you will. So you're hustling like a lot of other Americans are right now just through this pandemic. I mean, just economically, well, is it fair to say? I'm very Not fortunate. much as others, I realize that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot more blessed than uh, most. Uh, I have my health, I have my family, my kids, uh, my grandkids, my great grandson. I, you know, I have all of that. And, uh, you know, I feel very blessed and fortunate. But, you know, we've all been impacted by this uh you know, crisis and, but nothing like too many of us. And, and I think, you know, we've all seen that uh, the poor communities of color uh, have been particularly impacted by all this, those frontline workers that, uh, you know, have to work and can't work from home. That's why I push back on, you know, some of these people who complain that, uh, uh, there are people who, you know, are pushing back on some of the regulations. Uh, they can't do what you and I are doing right now. Sure, absolutely. We're, We're very fortunate. And I think too many people don't understand uh, that. Yeah. Uh, they just don't. Let, no me respect. End, let me end on a question I started with, which was a clumsy question on my behalf. I said, I think I mentioned, are you having a good pandemic? And you quite rightly said, nobody has a good pandemic. But what I should have asked is, um, what are you doing do, during the quarantine? How are you making good use of it? Just personally, I mean, are you reading things you would have never read before, watching films you would have never read, getting more exercise? How are you spending, how are you making the most out of this quarantine? I've lost about 30 pounds. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> right. I've uh, sure tinted my spray. Um, I am, I'm learning Sp Spanish. I'm taking Spanish classes. Um, I, you know, I, I third generation, you know, didn't speak Spanish in the home and never really studied it. And I'm trying to improve my Spanish skills. Um, you know, I getting closer to my family. I mentioned, uh, 
Pam early on. And I think when you've been speaker uh, of the assembly and gone as much as I was and mayor and, you know, you sometimes uh, lose the forest for the trees and I spent some, some good time with my kids and feel blessed for it. Well, that is great to hear and uh, wish you all the best with Spanish. We'll trade uh, grammar exercises when we get off. Daniel Villaragosa, it's been such a pleasure. The subjunctive. It could be worse. You could be learning German. So, yeah, well, that's a sprechen the Deutsch, right? Try, try the, the three ways to say the in German. Anyway, it's been a real pleasure talking to you and catching up and talking about political issues, personal issues. Um, this will, this discussion we've had will stay on ZocaloPublicSquare.org and Zocalo's podcast, along with an article covering what we discussed tonight and short interviews with uh, with the mayor. You could so check that out. Uh, once again, I'm really personally, I'm sure the mayor feels the same way. I want to thank everybody at Zocalo for putting this together. Um, thank you for watching online. Thank all of you out there watching on your screens. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you so much. Well, let, let me thank Soka, the board of Socalo. I'm, I'm actually on the board as well. And I know we talked about uh, making this an annual affair and I you know, tried to be as forthright as possible in, in answering your questions and, and really enjoyed working with you all of it. You know, I mentioned, had a lot of respect for you and the work that you do over the years. I, always been fair and your coverage and sometimes tough, but the, that comes with, uh, you know, the territory and, um, you know, certainly appreciate uh, Sokolo and the work they're doing there. They do uh, to really kind of deepen uh, the conversation uh, that we should all have in, in uh, our society. And I do thank Absolutely. uh Moira. Yeah, LA needs it, the country needs it, and the world needs it right now. Mr. Mayor, thank yes, you so much. And again, our apologies for some of the connection problems, but we heard you loud and clear. And um, have a great afternoon, everybody. Thanks so much. You too. Thank you, Saul. So